welcome to Word Online. Hello and welcome to series three and episode 15, Jesus Chooses 12 Apostles. And we're going to study two passages which both describe this event. One's in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 6, verses 12 to 16. We're also going to refer to Mark 3, verses 13 to 19. Well, we're well on in the story of Jesus's Galilean ministry now. Uh, During series three, we've been uh, seeing how that uh, ministry unfolded from the very beginning when he came back from the River Jordan and started his base in Capernaum and went to Nazareth to speak in the synagogue and give his Nazareth manifesto. From then onwards, we see that Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, was able to do remarkable miracles of healing and uh, deliverance from demonic powers. Uh, We see how he travelled around Galilee. We see how he attracted ever-increasing crowds from an ever-wider spread uh, geographically of places and even nations. And he attracted people from well beyond the borders of Israel. We've seen uh, Jesus make a visit to Jerusalem, uh, recorded in John chapter 5. But for the most part, we have been based in Galilee. We've noticed all the things he's done um, in Galilee, and we've seen tremendous momentum building up. So this is Jesus really um, at a time of great popularity and great success. Wherever he went, people were really looking forward to seeing him, looking forward to hearing him, filled with expectation, filled with optimism, really believing he could make a difference in their lives. And people particularly wanted healing from him. So many people sick with so many different diseases and injuries. So the story has been going along those lines for some time now. We've noticed another strand as well, uh, which I highlighted in the last episode, but we've seen on several occasions, which is opposition from the religious authorities. This is not the political authorities. It's not the Romans who ruled in Judea in the south. It's not King Herod Antipas, the local ruler whose base at uh, the town of Tiberias was really only a few kilometers away from Jesus's base at Capernaum. He doesn't really feature as an opponent at this point. The opposition is coming from the religious establishment that sees Jesus as a threat. So we've seen that theme developing. There have been some controversies, some arguments about his identity, his mission, whether he's breaking the Jewish law, the Sabbath and fasting and various other things have been discussed. That's an ominous dark cloud on the horizon because it appears that the religious authorities really want to get rid of Jesus. However, We leave that one aside for the moment. For the majority of people, this was Jesus in the height of his popularity. However, there's a hint, particularly in Mark 3, uh, when he describes, as we saw in an earlier episode, the sheer number of people and pressure this put on Jesus. There's a hint here of uh, a capacity issue for Jesus. How is he going to manage 
all these people and all their needs. On that particular occasion, as Mark 3 tells us, um, Jesus instructed his disciples to come back to the lakeside of the Sea of Galilee and have a boat ready because he may have to escape the crowds and uh, get in a boat just to get some peace and quiet. So there's an interesting question arises. What's going to happen next? Is Jesus just going to continue traveling around in the way he has done? What's he going to do in terms of forming his own team, his own group of followers, committed followers or disciples? And we've seen some hints along the journey, some steps on that journey, which is going to move forward very dramatically in this episode and come to a very clear position in terms of what Jesus' strategy is. But the hints along the road are that Jesus did call some people to follow him in a very specific way. There are three recorded incidents that we've already studied which describe this process. So let's just quickly remember those before we actually move into what we're going to discuss today because it's all part of the same process. Jesus calling people to follow him started actually around the time of his baptism. He was down at a place called Bethany beyond the Jordan in the south, much further south than Galilee, um, where John the Baptist was operating. And Jesus was in that area for a period of time before and after his baptism. And some of John's followers or disciples who really believed he was a prophet from God became interested in Jesus, got into conversation with him and transferred their allegiance to Jesus. Now, the ones that are described to us are described in John chapter one. Uh, Simon, Peter and Andrew, the fisherman from Capernaum, Philip and a man who John calls Nathaniel, but who's also known as Bartholomew um, in the other Gospels. And and an anonymous person, another disciple, who John the writer doesn't identify, but who most people believe to be John himself, John the Apostle. Simon Peter, Andrew, Philip, Nathaniel or Bartholomew and John. That's five who we know were called into a discipleship relationship with Jesus, called to follow him. However, this was before the, the ministry in Galilee. And uh, there are two further incidents which are a bit more specific than this because the uh, five people involved in these two other incidents are called to follow Jesus in a more literal sense of giving up their jobs and traveling with him. So that's more like a leadership training sort of discipleship. And the first incident appeared in Luke chapter 5, at the beginning of Luke 5, which we discussed in an earlier episode, where the fishermen, uh, Simon, Peter and Andrew and James and John, were fishing. Uh, they'd been out fishing at night. They hadn't caught very much. They were washing their nets on the side of the lake when Jesus came by and asked uh, Simon Peter if he could step into his boat and push it out from the shore 
uh, just a few meters so he could address the crowd more easily. And then he asked him to go out into the deep waters, take a catch of fish. If you heard that episode, you'll remember how the story ended. There was a miraculous catch of fish, so great that the nets began to break and the boat began to sink. And Peter and Andrew had to call on James and John to help them get the fish ashore. And Jesus used this uh, to commission them and say, follow me. Uh, and I'll send you out and, and make you fishers of men. You'll be fishing for men. In other words, these four people, three of whom had already encountered Jesus at Bethany beyond the Jordan, uh, according to John, were called into a form of what I would call leadership discipleship. They left their nets, they left their jobs, they left their livelihoods that very time and uh, probably that very day and they traveled with Jesus as he was going around Galilee and we've got one third incident of Jesus calling someone fairly dramatically which is Matthew the tax collector known in some gospels as Levi it's the same person Matthew the tax collector was called by Jesus from his tax booth on the side of the road just near Capernaum Jesus said follow me and he gave up tax collecting had a big meal for his friends and went on the road with Jesus. Now, this is all we know in terms of the formation of Jesus's disciples. But the other thing that's, uh, that's obvious in the text is there are lots of other people who are traveling around with Jesus, choosing to follow him. So he's got a group of people uh, by the time that we're now talking about who we could describe as disciples in a general sense. They're hugely impressed by Jesus. They, they're sure he's a prophet. Many of them think he's the Messiah and they're following him around and helping him. But now comes a moment of definition. And this is what we're going to describe. We're going to take Luke's account, first of all, just a very brief statement here, uh, but full of important meaning. And a little bit later on, we'll refer to Mark's account because it gives us some other significant information. But Luke 6 verses 12 to 16 describe this process. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them whom he also designated apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. So Jesus reached a point where he wanted to make a definition and he went to the mountainside and it, it appears from the story that his disciples were traveling with him. We don't know how many there were, but we can guess there were a lot more than 12. There was a big group. It was probably a mixed group of men and women, although it's much harder for women to uh, be itinerant and travel around with Jesus in practical terms. We see an example of that in Luke chapter 8, which we'll describe uh, later on when we get to that narrative. 
So this group, this larger group of disciples is with Jesus and and yet he separates himself from them for this time of prayer. He tells them he's going to go and pray on his own. So they're waiting in some form of a camp or some accommodation nearby. We don't know the details. Uh, it looks like they're on the hillside and they're waiting for Jesus to return. Well, this was not an uncommon experience, by the way, um, because as we've already noted um, in other studies, it's quite clear that Jesus um, often spent time traveling and then praying alone. For example, Luke 4.42, at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. Luke 5.16, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. We've already commented in earlier episodes of Jesus's practice of withdrawing himself for prayer, being very intentional about it and choosing solitary and quiet places for private prayer. This is an outstanding example. And the topic of his prayer is obvious. He is talking to his heavenly father about uh, choosing apostles, choosing disciples to have a primary role in his mission and in his team. So when morning came, he gathered everybody together, this large group of disciples, and he picked out 12 of them. And Luke says that he designated them apostles. Now, this 12 is a very interesting group. We'll discuss them in just a moment. But I think an interesting thing to ask ourselves is the meaning of the words we're talking about here. The word disciple and the word apostle. And uh, sometimes those words are used interchangeably of the 12. So let's just talk about these words in their basic meaning. Now, a disciple is a follower who is a learner. Someone who is learning from a higher religious authority. It was very common in Judaism for religious leaders and rabbis uh, to have a group of followers who studied with them, who traveled with them, who listened to their teaching and tried to copy their teaching. It was a common form of learning and it was considered socially very acceptable and very positive uh, to uh, become uh, a disciple of a well-known rabbi. Now Jesus was considered to be a rabbi by many people and there was pressure to become his disciple. So a disciple means a follower, someone who is intentionally trying to copy the other person to imitate their lifestyle and to grow in knowledge uh, of their particular skills and, and their particular ways. And it's a form of apprenticeship if you wanted to use another context from the business and commercial world. The disciples were apprentices. They were following Jesus and learning from him. But that didn't mean they necessarily had any specifically designated function. They were there mostly for their own benefit, as far as we can see. But the word apostle is much more specific. This Greek word has the concept at the heart of it of someone who is sent out. And sent out in two different ways. They are either an authorised delegate or an authorised messenger or both. 
an apostle is, first of all, a delegate. So you represent the authority of the person who has sent you. You're doing their work with authorization. You've been allowed to represent them in another situation. A modern example that's often quoted, which is very valuable, um, is to consider the ambassador of a country uh, when he or she is operating in another country in their official function. If you consider your, your country, wherever you live in the world, your country has ambassadors and similar people, such as high commissioners, but let's just use the term ambassador, operating in many other countries in the world, particularly the countries with which your nation has a strategic and significant relationship. And that ambassador represents the authority of the government in another country, of your government, but in another country. I once had the opportunity of visiting the British ambassador, my own nation, Britain, uh, visiting the British ambassador in the country of Romania. There are a number of circumstances that brought this about. And I was led up to his office in the embassy in the capital city, Bucharest, and there was his desk and there was the ambassador. And the interesting thing that I noticed was the, that above him was a portrait of the head of state of the United Kingdom, Queen Elizabeth II. So that's a symbol of the fact that he was representing that government in the nation of Romania. That's what an ambassador is. So an ambassador has the authority of the person or agency who has sent them. But they also have a message. So in political terms, the ambassador follows the political policies of the government he's representing as they apply in another nation. But in Jesus's case, the apostles were going to be given his kingdom of God gospel message and they were going to be the ones proclaiming it rather than him or alongside him. So here's a, something very strategic that is happening in Jesus' ministry. Up to this point, the narrative tells us that Jesus went around doing all these things himself. And the narrative points out how difficult this was becoming because of the sheer numbers of people and the difficulty physically of Jesus uh, extending his reach any further than he was already doing and even coping with a number of people that were coming to him. Now Mark in Mark chapter 3 gives us something a little bit more specific to help us understand what the apostles were going to be doing or experiencing that was different from the other disciples or any other person uh, in the following months and years. So if you turn with me to Mark chapter 3 and verse 14 um, you'll see something very interesting. Now, the passage, the parallel passage in Mark is Mark 3, 13 to 19. I'm just picking out the one verse where Mark adds something that Luke doesn't tell us so explicitly. Mark 3, 14 says, He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Notice there are three things here stated for these 12 
12 apostles, as we can now call them. Number one, that they might be with him. So these were going to have a close relationship with Jesus. They were going to travel with him. They were going to live with him. They were going to be his own community on the road. Now, obviously, they would be given practical jobs to do. For example, we find out from John's gospel that Judas Iscariot was given the responsibility for handling the finances of the group. He held the community purse and money came in and money went out for all the different practical requirements. Others had different functions. And within the 12, there was an inner circle of three, Peter, James and John. And Jesus sometimes took those three away with him um, on his own. And he left the other nine elsewhere for a period of time. That they might be with him. They would be his friends. They would experience life with him. He would teach them privately. And very significantly, Jesus would impart faith to them, would help them to grow in faith for the tasks that they were going to be performing. So number one, that they might be with him. Number two, that he might send them out to preach. So now it becomes clear what the strategy of Jesus is. The ministry he'd been doing on his own up to this point was going to become a shared ministry. He was going to multiply his impact by appointing apostles to represent him in places that he wasn't able to get to because of the physical impossibility of being everywhere. Now we see in the Gospels in Luke chapters 9 and 10 and in Matthew chapter 10, which we'll discuss in subsequent episodes, how Jesus specifically at a particular time sent the 12 out two by two, and then he had a larger group in Luke 10, 12 plus others, a group of about 70, um, to go into all sorts of different places to get his message throughout the country. So the second point, not just that they might be with him, but that he might send them out to preach. He's going to multiply his impact by having apostles working alongside him working for him, and he's going to send them out two by two. And thirdly, to have authority to drive out demons. So they're going to have the spiritual power sufficient to advance the kingdom and deal with any spiritual opposition that would come in any individual people. That's a very remarkable thing. Now, Matthew 10, verse 1, when this actually happens, adds another little detail. Matthew 10 verse 1, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. So the authority to do the things that Jesus was doing now was going to be passed on particularly to the apostles. They were going to have tremendous power and authority and a huge amount of responsibility in days to come. But at this particular point, it was training time. He was going to gather them. He had too many people in his wider discipleship group to train them. Some of them weren't appropriate, perhaps, for the task, or weren't able to be committed to the task. And most of all, they weren't called. The 12 apostles were called through God the Father's communion with his son, Jesus. They called these men and said that they were to be apostles in the kingdom. 
They're sometimes referred to as the disciples and the apostles from now onwards, but we should see them primarily as apostles. And they are the model of apostles in the church, a topic we'll discuss later on when we get towards the end of the story. And we see what Jesus does as he prepares for the birth of the church after his resurrection. Now, just a comment at this point about the names of the twelve. There are four lists of the twelve apostles. Two of them are in the passages that we are looking at today in Luke 6, 14 to 16 and in Mark 3, 13 to 19. A list also appears in Matthew 10, verses 2 to 4, and a list also appears after Jesus' resurrection in Acts 1, verse 13. One interesting point about these lists is that many of these people had more than one name, which can be a little bit confusing, so let me explain. We've already mentioned that Peter had another name, Simon, so he's either Peter or Simon or Simon Peter. The disciple who's called in these four lists, Bartholomew, is called by John Nathaniel. And his full name was probably Nathaniel Barthalmus, Nathaniel, the son of Thalmus. So he's either Bartholomew or in John's gospel, he's Nathaniel. We've already mentioned that Matthew had another name, Levi, uh, which is used in Mark's and Luke's gospel. So he can be known by either name. And we ought to mention also that Thomas, uh, the apostle, was known as Didymus in John. And that Thaddeus also had the name Judas, son of John. So people in those days had more than one name, and that appears in several cases here. Some of these we don't really know very much about, and some of them we know quite a lot about. Some of them have already been called, some of them are being called uh, probably for the first time. There is, of course, the question of Judas Iscariot, the one who ultimately betrayed Jesus, and he was replaced in the Twelve in Acts chapter 1, and you can read that story to find out how that was done. And his replacement was a man named Matthias, who joined the twelve and made that number up after Judas Iscariot had committed suicide after betraying Jesus. So these are the twelve. Some concluding reflections. The twelve are literally the foundation of the church, these apostles. Uh, they started the church in Jerusalem. The twelve were together there. They were the first leaders of the first church. They were given tremendous authority by Jesus. And when we study John's gospel uh, a little bit later on, uh, we'll find some of the inspiration that they were going to be given, which was going to help in the formation of the scriptures. Here, as we reflect on this, we see... Jesus multiplying his ministry. And this is the key to his success. He got more and more influence because the apostles began to function shortly after this, uh, traveling in pairs around and reaching more and more people. The church only thrives 
when ministry is multiplied. One of the primary responsibilities of church leaders is to train other people uh, to fulfill different ministries, even to replace their own ministry or to supplement their own ministry or to go other places and do the things that they are doing. And Jesus is a very good example of this. And he put a lot of effort into training. So the next two to three years that they spend together are absolutely critical to prepare them for the gigantic task that came their way after Jesus's death, resurrection and ascension when the responsibility was handed wholly over to them and they had to establish and develop the church. It's interesting to note in conclusion that Jesus chooses all sorts of people. The fishermen, Peter, Andrew, James and John. The tax collector, Matthew. Simon, who was known as a zealot. And the zealots were an extreme political group who opposed the Romans and were willing to uh, conduct terrorist activities against them and assassinations. So Simon had been involved with that group in the past. And then there's that rather ambiguous personality, uh, Judas Iscariot. And then there's Thomas, who famously doubted Jesus's resurrection. There's all sorts of interesting characters in the mix here. But these 12 men were chosen by God the Father's will to be the apostles and the foundation for the church. They were fallible. They made a lot of mistakes, and we'll see some of them documented. But they were called and they were called to be the founders of the Christian church. God is a God who sends. He calls and he sends. He called the 12 apostles and then he sent them. And he's still doing that today. He's calling us to follow Jesus. And many of us are sent out into the world in different areas of work and life and sometimes Christian leadership ministry in order to extend the kingdom of God. That apostolic feel to the church should be there today. It's not a static organisation, it's a mobile moving organisation. Just like Jesus's mobile moving ministry in Galilee, which is about to move into another dimension as the 12 begin to function as apostles representing Jesus as delegates and as messengers. You have been listening to Martin Charlesworth for Word Online. To find out more, visit wordonline.org.